Hey, friends of DeSoto. Today's episode of The Greatest Generation covers an episode of Star Trek Voyager that depicts some sort of self-harm slash, you know, suicide-adjacent behavior by a character. We talk about it a bunch in this episode, so if that is a tough place for you to go or wouldn't be entertaining, I would advise you to skip this one. If you're in the U.S. and you're having bad feelings and need somebody to talk to, you can dial 988 anywhere in the country, and that'll get you to the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. And I hope you will. I hope you'll reach out for help if that's something you need. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingle of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingle of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Branica. I'm Ben Harrison. How are you, Ben? I'm all right, buddy. Going to get some new glasses right after this. You know, the music of your voice <laughs> was like, what, here's, here's how it would sound. Boom, 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 boom. Like like you got something wrong on the prices, right? Like kind of a sousaphone sound. <laughs> I uh, like that. You know, I'm just having a I'm having one of those weeks where like I have the normal workload of our show plus all of the stuff of taking care of the baby. Mm-hmm. And then like we have to do some work on uh on the garage to fix all these leaks that happen when it rains. My father was kind enough to like draw up some plans and we got a contractor to give us an estimate and there's like all this stuff that I need to review. Then I'm getting other communications. I'm getting like all these emails that I need to review. I got to go pick up new glasses and we're going out of town next week. I'm just, Mm. I'm just like looking at the unimaginably long to-do list and, uh, well, everything is going fine. I do I do feel the weight of it, you know? I know, man. Not a good feeling. No. Just want to have fun with my friends and talk about Star Trek. We also have water intrusion issues at our place. Yeah. I. <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> it's so visceral. When you live in Seattle, water intrusion is an event. <laughs> <laughs> and the dangers associated with it are are Miriam, right? For all the obvious reasons. Right. Seattle's a wet environment and water kills houses. And I wonder if you had a different feeling about it when you saw water coming into your place than I did. I was freaking out and I didn't have nearly as much water as as you got in your place, but like the Seattle in me saw it as as a trauma. Yeah. And I'm still feeling it because the fix is not there yet. And I'm working with a contractor to get our our shit figured out. I mean, I, I don't want to get into a trauma measuring contest with you, but uh, it yeah. definitely was... You measure from the roof. <laughs> it was stressing me out, man. Yeah. yeah I mean, we uh, <laughs> we had a lot, of, a lot of damage. There were like boxes of like childhood artwork of my wife's that was like... Like her mom oh, gave her no. like all this stuff in like banker's boxes of like stuff from, you know elementary school and whatnot that and you stored all that on the roof huh yeah i don't know why we did that that was so silly of us yeah damn in plastic buckets with no lid (laughs) 
What were we thinking? <laughs> yeah. They were just there were bankers boxes on the ground and you know, but they were indoors, so the indoors is not supposed to be wet. You think indoors is gonna be safe. Yeah. You think. You're wrong. You're fucking wrong. You know what? Many years ago we converted ourselves into a plastic bin lifestyle. Yeah. For all of our storage needs. You know, you go down that that aisle at Costco and you see the big I wouldn't. plastic Ever. tubs and you think that's a fucking waste. Like who would spend $30 on three big plastic tubs? This is the use case for that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm going to have to go to fucking Costco. Yeah. Hey, try not to choke on a hot dog. I'm sure that they'll sell me plastic tubs that are non-functional in some key way and I'll have to return them and they'll be like, oh yeah, you did buy those in the store, but you can't return them to a store. You have to return them online, which means you have to pay shipping or some crazy shit. Fucking crazy company. (laughs) Their hot dogs are good though. Exactly. I'll give them that. Here's my advice. Before you go into the Costco, go to the food court first. Don't save it for the end. My wife won't let me do it. Like when we go, I'm like, oh, let me get one of those hot dogs. And she's like, no, we're not. No, you, you already ate lunch. She, she makes good points that prevent me from being able to bring myself Wait, hey, to do this. Hey, Ben, when did the new feminism turn into wives <laughs> telling their partners not to eat a hot dog if that's what would make them happy? I don't think that it's coming from a that standpoint. <laughs> I just wanted to take the hardest defense possible against that because yeah, I want my friend right. to have a hot dog. Yeah. I really want that. The, it was the hot dog that turned us into the new Rush Limbaugh of Star Trek podcasting. It is such a short hurdle to jump to get to happiness, that fifty hot dog. Yeah. And it lives with you long after. What about that thing that's like a giant hot pocket? What's that thing? You, d- you don't want that. Okay. That's not good? You don't want the chicken bake. Chicken bake, great. Yeah. It's the most like non-appetizing pair of chicken chicken bake. Just sounds like nothing. I had exactly <laughs> one of those in my life and I'll never forget it. Mm. I'll never forget not to get one of those. Did you have gastric distress? Because if it was gastric distress, I would say it's not fair of you to to count out the chicken bake over that. Because everything gives you gastric distress. There was a day when the chicken bake used to come with a Caesar dressing dipper. Mm. And this is an item that comes with, like, it's a dough filled with chicken and Caesar dressing. That's basically what it is. Oh. But you also got cold Caesar dressing to dip? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get the, you dip that thing in there and you take it to the dome. Sounds good. I felt awful for so long after that. And that's not to say that your mileage won't vary. I'm sure a lot of people really like them. One thing I know about Costco, if it doesn't sell, it's not on the menu. So, like, that is a very popular item. Uh-huh. I'm sure of it. So, did you try to return the chicken bake and they threw up a bunch of barriers in your way? Yeah, I, I tried to connect the chicken bake to my gas line and my <laughs> electricity, but I didn't realize that I didn't have gas. I had an electric dryer, so, like... I don't know how that mistake happened, uh-huh. but uh-huh. I couldn't get it to to work in my home. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it's uh, it was your fault, is what you're saying? It might have been operator error mm. on the chicken bake. I should have known better. Yeah. Well, anyways, <laughs> I don't want to talk about Costco anymore. It makes me even sadder. 
<laughs> Ouch. That, well, that really backfired, Ben. What's it going to take to make you happy? Maybe uh, base jumping with the holodeck safeties turned off. Oh, that is a good pivot. Because you're feeling a lot. You're yeah. feeling a lot of bad. I'm not feeling much of anything at all. Maybe it's time for me to uh, dip into Star Trek Voyager Season 5, Episode 3. Mm. Extreme risk. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> yeah, so this starts on a shuttle mission. And BLT is in this super intense jumping rig. It's like purplish blue like circuit panels all over it is that like armor do you think i guess i mean you need you need something to get through the upper atmosphere at three hundred thousand meters yeah what about that helmet man how do i know you're not making faces at me under that thing you remember when everyone made that big deal about the highest free fall ever how many years ago was that oh yeah it was the red bull guy right you're kind of proving my point here The lead up to that and the event itself was a big fucking deal. No one remembers that guy. Yeah. I've drank so much Red Bull since then, though. (laughs) All you do is fall. Yeah. You have to be willing to fall and then actually fall. And that's how you get that record. But I remember that uh, the the big thing with that was like if he starts spinning or if his head vibrates too much, it will like just snap his head off of his body. And that was one of the things that they were really worried could go wrong. Yeah, but I mean, death is always on the line with a stunt like that. It it almost doesn't matter what (laughs) form of death it is, right? It's going to be bad. Yeah, but none of that stuff seems to happen to BLT when she jumps out of this shuttle. She's like in mid-flight when she gets word from the bridge that she needs to report to engineering. And her head is not like violently shaking. It doesn't seem like the vibration. I guess maybe she's so high that she hasn't hit the atmosphere yet. That's part of it, right? That's got to be it, yeah. Yeah, wow. I read that this uniform was something that Bill Shatner was supposed to wear in a scene that they'd never filmed in Star Trek Generations. Whoa. This was the sort of kicks that Kirk got. (laughs) <laughs> maybe it was a uh, something that he liked to do in the Nexus, or maybe this was just how he was enjoying retirement or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's his uh, rock climbing gear for geriatrics. Yeah, <laughs> but kind of shocking that Bill Shatner and Roxanne Dawson can fit into the same suit. <laughs> the CG version of this also caught my eye when yeah. she's like paused mid-flight and then like, a light on the floor of the holodeck. That's a that's a CG person there. Sure is. That seems like a big deal for for this. Like it it's really well done, you know? It's not too bad. Yeah. And uh yeah, so I guess that that answers the question what happens when you're falling in the holodeck and it gets turned off. Yeah, I mean, we, you really as a Star Trek nerd, you've always wanted to see the transition, right? The transition between fall and land on your feet. Yeah. What would happen in that case if you just turned off the program? This is what happens. Because we've seen people fall on their butt because the chair hologram disappeared out from under them. Right. This Chakotay message comes at at exactly the wrong time. Yeah. And BLT walks out. Like she's it seems like she's gonna go to engineering wearing this weird suit. Yeah. She's marching down there and seven bumps into her in the hallway and is like, What the fuck <laughs> are you wearing? 
Something very funny about this take is that when the door opens for Seven and she sees BLT, she instantly has a catty thing to say in less time than it would take anyone to come up with a catty thing to say about someone who had just walked by. Mm, That's the Borg augmentations working overtime. Yeah, her cutting (laughs) remarks just work so fast. (laughs) They assimilated Joan Rivers' distinctiveness into their own. I'll give you the same advice I gave to David Carradine. Hang in there. I couldn't quite follow this when we come back from commercial, but there's there's a USS Voyager probe that they've shot and it gets grabbed by a Malon ship. Was what confused you how this probe looked? It feels like we've never seen a probe like this with the ship's name and all that. Yeah, we've never seen a probe like this and also like they mentioned something about like Borg shielding on this probe. Yeah. And that's going to protect it from a gas giant. Like the probe is able to get out of the tractor beam that the Malons put on it and go hide in a gas giant. But like All of this is just like in media probe, you know, like we don't know why it was urgent for BLT to get down to engineering for this stuff that's going on and we're just following it and we don't know, we don't really know what the utility of the probe is either. Like, like why they're going to such lengths to save this probe is, is a mystery throughout the episode. It's never really answered. That's a great point. Yeah. It seems like they are more motivated by competition against the Malons than anything this episode. And the Malons are a type of culture that I thought we'd never see again. I was delighted that they (laughs) they remain (laughs) as a going concern. They do. So, so yeah, they they managed to get this probe to hide itself in a gas giant. But if they're going to go rescue it, uh, that's going to be another project. And the Malon ship that was trying to get it follows it into the gas giant and implodes because of how hazardous the atmosphere of this thing is. Because once a gas giant gets you into its atmosphere, you can't break free. (laughs) Because gas giants are big and the gases are strong. I don't know why the scientists keep making them. (laughs) This episode of The Greatest Generation sponsored by Gas Giant Insurance Mm -hmm. from Old Liberty. Later in a McLaughlin group, issue one, Kim kind of gives an after action report for what happened here. And the probe has buried itself in the lower atmosphere of this gas giant. It's not destroyed. Yeah. But it's in a place that's very difficult to get. Jordy's mom might be alive down there. Oh. There's only one way to find out. Yeah. Mom? BLT shows up late to this meeting and is really not making any friends or influencing people in the way that she's interacting with the group here. She is not offering any speculation about how they could solve the problem. She is just shutting things down left and right. Yeah. And a real Adam at a meeting sort of sensibility is what BLT has here. No kidding, man. I wondered all through this episode, like, why don't they pause the meeting at this point and ask... Sandwich like what's eating BLT. <laughs> but in retrospect, we have meetings all the time where you just sit there and stare blankly at us and, and nobody ever stops and says, Adam, are you okay? I try to make sure all my ideas are good and I just don't I don't say them. I don't say I don't hypothesize my shit. Yeah, it is it has been a, a long time since you've said a good idea. So I know. So I just shut the fuck up until I come up with something that's usable. 
Speaking of uh, usable ideas, Tom Paris uses this meeting to repitch his new shuttle who dis idea. And uh, he's come with a PowerPoint deck this time. And this is uh, something he's really fired up about. And everybody's like, no, not with the new shuttle again, Tom. Get out of here. But the PowerPoint is persuasive. Behold, the Delta Flyer. It's kind of like a type two shuttle with an S that he adds at the end. And then he draws a line through the S to make it a dollar sign. Paris having these visual aids really judges up his whole angle. I think up until now, you get the sense that this has been something that he's tried to pitch just casually, but nothing says serious like this PowerPoint, as you've described. And as Paris talks, we cut over to BLT and her eyes fall to what exactly as he's talking? (laughs) Because there is a clear, like she's, she's seated and Paris is standing and she's looking up at his eyes until her eyes fall to what is belt line or below Mm. before cutting away. (laughs) I mean, she's just sitting there sad, trying to think of things that will make her happy. Oh, yeah, that helps. That might be an idea. Yeah, unclear what their relationship status is at this point. I thought a lot about that in this episode. I mean, Paris is really, is this is like an S-tier meeting for Paris. He's, yeah. he's really come a long way from am I making any sense here, Paris? Because he's thought ahead. Like, he's like licking up two box asshole. He's licking... Seven of Nine's asshole. Like, everybody's getting compliments in how he has gone about designing this ship. I'm impressed, but how quickly can it be built? Yeah, everyone wants to be involved. This seems like the ground floor of a very exciting idea. If everyone at this meeting are interested in in getting involved, BLT's the only holdout, it seems. It's only going to take a week to build this thing. I was shocked by that timeline, were you? Yeah. I mean, having worked for uh, an aerospace company, I'm sure you know that that's about how long it takes to uh, commission a new vehicle, right? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look for that new single aisle in 10 years. (laughs) Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. They all head down to the holodeck, turn the safeties off, and get some clay out and just start making concepts. Love this. They're using the hollow clay. Mm -hmm. That's what Paris has got. And he's putting fins on this thing. Yeah, he kind of likes the idea of making it just look cool as a way of, you know, preventing other people from fucking with them when they're flying it around. This sensibility is really interesting, and it made me think a lot about how other Star Trek aliens present themselves through what their ships look like. Right. Like, could they give this the imposing stature of a Dideradex if they designed it right? Right. Yeah. Tuvok doesn't want any embellishments at all. Anything that detracts from the mission of this thing is not something he's interested in in entertaining the idea of... We are not designing a hot rod, Lieutenant. And BLT's like, cool, it sounds like you've got everything working here. I'm going to peace out. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the suggestion that she came up with the wrong type of metal to make the hull out of yeah. does not cause her to, fl- uh, you know, haul off on anybody or flip anybody over a table. 
And everybody's like, that's so weird. What's going on? This is the moment where if Paris doesn't engage with BLT about what's going on here, it's never going to happen. And sure enough, it never happens really in this episode. Like I was looking at Paris this entire time. Like, are you going to walk after her (laughs) or ask her what's going on? I mean, or do anything. She comes to his apartment in the next scene. Yeah. After hours. Didn't it feel like there was a scene missing, though, between these two? Sort of. Yeah. Because you're like, how did Paris get into his lieutenant's t-shirt? God, I know. I see him wearing the brand new lieutenant's t-shirt available now at podshop.biz. Ooh. I'm like, who doesn't get one of these? I just refreshed the page, Adam. It looks like those have sold out as well. That has been a thing. Yeah. Hmm. It's funny. Like, I threw it away as a joke. Like, who's going to buy, you know, the captain's T-shirt, the commander's T-shirt, or the lieutenant's T-shirt? It turns out it is the most popular shirt in the store. It's crazy. I mean, like, I feel like we're going to go on our next tour, and we're going to look out at an audience full of people in captain's T-shirts, commander's T-shirts, and lieutenant's T-shirts. We can't keep them on the shelves. It would appear we've underestimated the Friends of DeSoto's appetite for solid color basics. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew that we should be trying to compete with the Gap, you know? We should turn Podshop.biz into a department store. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, weird. They've got like an Uxbridge Shimoda branded washing machine. (laughs) When did they start selling like tools and other small appliances? There when you need us. Yeah. Expert Shimoda. So yeah, he does ask her like what what's with the long face and uh You usually love dinner. <laughs> uncharacteristically, she's not really there to be vulnerable with him. And this scene really did make me wonder what their relationship status was. Cause we've talked about like they are boyfriend and girlfriend, but not live in boyfriend and girlfriend yet, but they also just don't seem to like really communicate at all in this scene. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. Paris is like mad at her that she's sad in the in the way of like dumb 20-year-old boyfriend, not 35-year-old boyfriend who should have some emotional intelligence, you know? I don't know. I, I just may be a dumb guy about things, but I was kind of on Paris's side of this one, which was like, Paris wants to connect and wants to have dinner and wants to either talk about it or not. But what he wants more than anything is to just be together. And when BLT can't explain why that's not going to happen or confide in him anything about how or why she's feeling the way she is, it's frustrating. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe if she doesn't feel like she can confide in him in this moment, he's given her reasons not to believe that she can before this moment. I don't know. Sometimes all it takes is to just put your hand on someone's shoulders. (laughs) I just want to know what's going on. And just hold on until those answers come out. Yeah. I have to go. I find that when I put my hand on someone's shoulders in that context, they immediately go to the holodeck and turn off the safeties. God, Ben, this is the first of two scenes of strange touching that fly off the screen for me. The other is later on when when Janeway curls her finger and lifts up BLT's chin <laughs> so that she would she can look her in the eyes. Yeah. What 
Where is that move? We've never seen that in real life. <laughs> no one has ever touched another person's chin that way. Never before, never since. It's actually in the Guinness Book. This is a very special episode for that reason. You know what, Ben? That's just a little movie magic right there, isn't it? <laughs> well, Adam, the strange touching that BLT is really interested in is the kind of strange touching you do with a Cardassian who is trying to fist fight you to death. Yeah. And uh, she goes down and runs a Star Trek cave simulation where she can experience that. She's really turning her trembles into rages. Yeah. I have to say. Program 216, with the safeties off, suggests hundreds of programs like this. (laughs) So it does. They fight a lot, and she's getting her kicks in program 216. Meanwhile, Voyager has arrived at the planet where the probe went down, the gas giant. And there's another Malin freighter on the other side of the planet. Just dumping waste. Yeah. Like the Malins do. Oh, yeah. I mean... You talk shit about Malin freighters, but I love the like how flaky their salt is compared to other salt. It's like those big, like it, yeah. it's it's a it, you know it's not great for cooking with, but it's a great finishing salt. The Malins make these are finishing freighters in the <laughs> atmosphere here. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with dumping your waste into a gas giant, right? The gas giant's just gonna cook it all away. Yeah, do gas giants have people living in them in Star Trek? I don't know. This is uh, Vrelk, is uh, the person in command of this other Malon ship. And uh, he is really ripshit about the destruction of the previous Malon ship. And he wants the probe as like compensation for the loss of life and materiel that has been visited on the Malons. And Janeway is uh, fucking awesome in this scene. (laughs) I love how little of his bullshit she puts up with in this scene. You are making a serious error. End transmission. She's really turned the corner from seasoned diplomat to not taking any shit from the Malins ever again. <laughs> he's fucking done before he even starts. Yeah. He's like, well, we're going to hang out and get that probe. And so, so now it's a competition, baby. Yeah. There's coffee in that probe. Elsewhere, BLT has gotten home from her holodeck session. She's sweaty. She's wounded. Yeah. Getting ready for a shower, probably. She's got a a regenerator hiding under a towel. Yeah, it's like she's uh, hiding the light she waves over stuff as though she's an addict and that's her rig. Yeah. It made me wonder the way she stores this thing if she's not allowed to have one of those. Right. Yeah, like it's... or. It's it has this kind of shameful vibe to it. Yeah. And the way she's sitting sort of looks like somebody shooting up heroin in a TV show. Yeah. And she, like, catches herself in the mirror. You don't keep the manscaper on the counter. You keep it under the towel. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want somebody coming over to a party at your house and opening the medicine cabinet and seeing, you know, like, you want that stuff to seem sort of effortless. <laughs> a, ma- a magician should not reveal his tricks. Yeah. Like you're just born that way. Yeah. Shorn and uncut and 420 friendly. <laughs> There's an expression she has when she sees herself in the mirror that was very unusual to me. Yeah, I was like is she going to like start turning into a 
full-blooded Klingon in this scene or? Exactly my point. Like Star Trek has trained you as a viewer to really register moments like these, not as introspection, but as alien. Right. Instead, this I think is introspection and we can only do the math on this later, but what she's deciding in this moment, the thing that causes her to gasp like that is realizing that maybe talking to Neelix is the solution to her problem. I mean, that's one hell of a problem if the only <laughs> way up is Neelix. <laughs> Neelix is in the mess hall and he's like, he's closing early, which is great. Yeah, I love that. I love that moment when he's like trying to turn the sign around to say closed and she's like pushes the door open as as he's reaching for the sign. I'd never do this if I were BLT. I don't like going to a restaurant within an hour of their closing time. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a great Neelix scene because he doesn't get upset at all. Yeah. Even when she orders something from him that he just walks over to the replicator and replicates. Like, you could have done that, BLT. It was rude to make Neelix do it for you, but he could tell she just needed somebody to replicate something for her. This feels to me like such a store-bought versus homemade conflict <laughs> in the moment. Like if Neelix made bananas pancakes, I think it would it would mean a lot more than getting the store-bought out of the replicator, right? Yeah, right. And also, where's the syrup, Neelix? Yeah. Do they have uh, maple trees down in the hydroponics bay? The lack of syrup on the plate has me asking the question... How's Neelix? <laughs> Everything all right over there? Mm, yeah. Kind of worried about him. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Do you mess with a banana pancake when you make your uh, pancake mix pancakes? All the time, dude. Yeah. All the time. You know how I do it, though. Hmm. A mix of cubed up bananas and mashed banana. Cubed bananas. That's interesting. I do mashed banana in the batter, but then I do mm-hmm. like ring, you know, like cross yeah, sections. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'll bifurcate the banana twice to make, you know, like quads. Uh huh. Like, and then I'll slice into those. Wow. And that'll give me like the trivial pursuit banana <laughs> shape. Uh huh. Yeah. That mixes well in the, into the batter. Wow. That's a very I, I I put the discs on once I've put the batter on the yeah. griddle. Yeah, that's good. I gotta that's I gotta good. try your method. That sounds You gotta do bananas both ways. Also like a pinch of nutmeg and like a couple of derps of vanilla extract. Mm. Kind of like that. I, I put a little creme de banana in that. No way. That's a good idea. Yeah. Damn. I wonder if rum would work also. A little zhuzh of rum. I think it would. I think that would be good. Yeah, I think so too. I'm all out of creme de banana. Oh, I have absolutely no reason to buy it. We got to go creme de banana shopping for you. We got to <laughs> gotta bring back Let's Drink About It again is what we need to do. Let's drink about it. All right. I need the smallest bottle of creme de banana they make. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need. So this does not seem like it really solves BLT's problem. And I love this scene. Almost nothing happens in this scene. BLT does not reveal what is bothering her in this scene. Neelix does not seem to be much help in this scene. Nor does Neelix seem to notice that anything is wrong with BLT because many 
many crew people have left the mess hall without finishing their plate. <laughs> I love a slow scene that doesn't really amount to much yeah. when a character is going through a thing. This is one of the best scenes in the episode for that reason. It yeah. just it just takes its time and and lets you sit with her in the in the mood that she's in. Mhm. I thought it was great. Yeah, I liked it too. The Malin ship is parked right next to Voyager at this moment and on the bridge people are asking the same question I am. What are they still doing here and why are they so close? They saw what happened to the other guys that tried to go into the planet. Like, they're not going to get it that way. I don't like being so close to the ship while its green exhaust kind of shoots out in your general direction. <laughs> yeah. So Tuvok's theory is like, maybe they're just waiting for us to get the probe back and they'll try and steal it from us once we do it. But, uh, you know, we're still like wrenching away on our new shuttlecraft and we'll have to come up with a strategy for that. But uh, Seven of Nine calls Tuvok and Captain Janeway down to the ass lab, and she's like, hey, I've actually got big news about what the Malon are working on. They're building their own shuttle that's strong enough to go into the planet. Can you think of another example of a Starfleet ship's ability to see inside another ship in this way? Well, that's the thing. The ass lab gives them capabilities they've never had before. I really love it. And I hope they use it all the time, is what I'm saying. Yeah. This seems to be a great bit of business here. Yeah. And then the, the camera pans over to the right, and it shows Homer Simpson rotating slowly in his own juices inside the oven. <laughs> his body temperature has risen to over 400 degrees. You remember that episode of Deep Space Nine where there was a gun that could shoot through walls? Yeah. This kind of... It feels like the introduction to a sort of tension that we never get in this episode anyway. They should get that gun and take out all the guys building the ship. Then what are the Malons going to do? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we don't have to waste a torpedo on these fucking guys. <laughs> so it's an old-fashioned space race, and it's time to start rushing as they build the Delta Flyer. That was... That wasn't replicator quality right there. That was homemade. Delicious, Ben. I loved seeing the, the, the bay where they're building this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, say what you will about the effects that were possible in this moment. The wide shot of the shuttle in the bay with the people working around it, even of quality of the late 90s, is still really neat to look at. It's very fun. So everybody from uh, the engineering departments to the ops department to security to con is uh, represented here. We've got people working on all the different systems and talking shit to each other. You know, like Tuvok doesn't like, you know, Paris's uh, strategy for building this thing. He doesn't like that Paris has put in a bunch of uh, Captain Proton bullshit into the into the controls area. Every one of these knobs and levers is fully functional. I'm programmed in multiple techniques. How excited are you at the idea that there are like knob, switch, and balls style controls <laughs> at that station? <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I know that you are mainly excited about all the gauges. God, I love those gauges. <laughs> those are great. BLT not really enthused about the whole thing. She's off to the holodeck to... They're talking about this, like, uh, metallurgical problem the ship might have where 
the hull plating could endure micro fractures under the stress of the gas giant. And she's like walking off in a huff and they're like, where are you going? And she explains she's going to go down to the holodeck and test this micro fractures problem. But again, it's an opportunity for her to turn off the safeties and do something super fucking dangerous down there. Yeah. On the holodeck, BLT is at the controls of the Delta Flyer alone. I think one of the things that's so interesting about the programs that BLT chooses for her near-death experiences is like in that cold open, there was another crew person in there to tell her like, what are you doing? It's too dangerous. (laughs) Now she doesn't need that person at all. She knows it's dangerous. Right. That doesn't get her off anymore. I wondered if they used the same loop of the computer saying turning off the safeties is, is not advisable. Yeah, it feels like it. Why would why would they have different takes? I mean, yeah, like I wonder because if it's like really trying to mimic natural language, you would want it to like take a different a different take at it every time, right? I think even if you turn the safeties off, wouldn't it make sense if the computer knows what your vitals are? If you fall low first into a panel and knock yourself out, unconsciousness should end the program, shouldn't it? Man, it really should, but it does not. No. So she gets KO'd, and up on the bridge, a banger gets dropped on the ship as the Malins spray them with some of their green garbage. And Vrelk, the the <laughs> other ship's commander, is like, he's being like shady as fuck and basically just calls Janeway up to taunt her. Yeah, I like this. Like, yeah, we're going to launch our shuttle way ahead of yours. You suck. <laughs> Would hate to uh, dump more garbage on you like I just did. I like this guy. I couldn't help it. <laughs> Not enough shit talkers in Star Trek. Just trying to save you the embarrassment of losing. Yeah, the shit talking is not really getting to Janeway, but she does want to put the Delta Flyer construction detail into high gear. So they try and get in touch with BLT, and when she doesn't answer, Chakotay has to go down to the holodeck and freeze the program, and it seems like he kind of rescued her right at the last minute. I thought this was a powerful moment between these two characters, characters that have, at times, been very close on this show. Yeah. Like, lest we forget, there was a romantic attraction between them that, I mean, I haven't forgotten, but the show seems to have. But this moment was sort of a reminder because when he sees her down on the ground, he is absolutely shaken by this in a way that that seems to cross the professional boundary. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like they have a really complex dynamic. And uh, BLT wakes up on the bio bed and the captain kind of dismisses the doctor and has this heart to heart with her. I kind of wished that this was Chakotay here, but I did too. I understand why it's the captain. Yeah. The doctor has reported back like for months, BLT has been putting herself in harm's way and having internal bleeding and like patching herself up badly. I love how the thing that moves the needle most for BLT is. <laughs> is how her self-nursing is described. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a slam in there, Janeway. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I know you're trying to express dismay and concern, but uh, you don't need to dunk on her like that. (laughs) Yeah. This behavior combined with 
how uninterested she seemed in the workplace has combined to create a moment where Janeway can't trust her and needs to take her off of the shuttle mission and put her under the doctor's supervision. I guess you could call her Captain Dismainway. Hmm. Yeah. You sure can. <laughs> this is the scene where, where Janeway lifts BLT's chin up with the crook of her finger. <laughs> and I want to know, I would read the oral history about this scene and how this direction came to be. <laughs> because I, you see it in movies and TV, but I feel like in real life, if anyone tried to do this to someone else's chin... Yeah, they'd be like, "Yeah, hey, get off me. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to touch my face? <laughs> I'm not looking you in the eyes. What about that makes you think you can touch my face? Yeah. You, you think you can just force me to look you in the eyes because you don't like that I'm not looking you in the eyes? Hey, guess what? You've lifted up my chin. I'm still not looking at you in the eyes. <laughs> well, I've got to get that platinum. Get that robe enlargement. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Would not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. 
lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. There are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. So there's a meeting between the captain, Chakotay, and Tom Paris. And another scene that made me wonder why Tom was so in the dark about what's going on with BLT, especially if this is something that's been going on for months. Right. Apparently, they haven't been spending enough time together that he would notice that she's spending an inordinate amount of time in the holodeck, that he would notice that she's covered in bruises and is like bleeding internally and shit. Yeah. Like she has really kept him in the dark in a way that I feel like any real relationship would have a reckoning over. I mean, they haven't been physical in a long time either because he'd be able to tell if she were bruised and in pain. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. She's been cheating on him with that holographic Cardassian. She never complained about being hurt. You don't hit me the way he does. (laughs) Jesus. Clinical depression is the diagnosis here. And I, uh, it didn't really hit right for me when, when they say that. Was this an album track order issue with you? Because that episode where Janeway is feeling things in the void is so close to this episode that it made me think Janeway should be the lead on this problem. Hmm. And she should be with BLT in a way that could help her get through it. But she's just absent bossing it here. Yeah, I mean, she's delegating a lot and, you know, gives Chakotay the job of, like, dig through the holodeck records and see what she's been up to. It's sort of like that thing where I'm very easily nauseous and if someone else vomits around me, I will start to vomit. (laughs) The same goes for depression. If I am around a depressed person... I become very, very depressed myself. Well, yeah. I mean, I think like depression does not present exactly the same way in different people, but it didn't quite smack of clinical depression to me. And I think it's interesting. Does my vomit theory of depression not hold up with you? Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is that I think it's interesting that that turns out not to be what the issue is. Yeah. I think that there's something really like powerfully subtle about how Roxanne Dawson plays it that when they say clinical depression that doesn't feel like the solution to the problem in this episode you know yeah this whole thing is so ridiculous i really love this scene with chakotay and blt that follows 
because, I mean, as much as I want Janeway to be on point for this, Chakotay and BLT go way back, Yeah, as we all know, and they've been through a lot of the same things together. In many ways, they should be closer than we've seen over the last couple of seasons, given their backgrounds. Yeah, what with having spilled the same blood in the same mud, etc. But there is a quality to Chakotay here that I thought was so funny, so unintentionally funny. Like a parent who is concerned about the video games their kid is playing and wants to play them himself. (laughs) He is so enthusiastic about participating in the programs that I can't help but be suspicious of him in a way that I feel like BLT is mildly suspicious of. But Chakotay's vibe here is so positive, so 10 out of 10, and so convincing that he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to play these games with you, and then I'm going to tell the captain nothing's wrong. (laughs) And we're going to play him right now. Yeah, it's like... uh... If your parent wanted to play Grand Theft Auto with you, but also wanted you to make like smoke the entire carton of cigarettes that they caught you with at the same time. Yeah, it's like that. (laughs) (laughs) The program that he has found is, uh, it wasn't 216, right? It was like a different program. Yeah. And it's the aftermath of a massacre. And this is the massacre where all their Maquis buddies bought it. This is what has been eating BLT. If the shoulder grab between Paris and BLT bothered you before, that will be forgotten compared to the physicality of this scene. Yeah. Because BLT does not want to be in here one second longer. And Chakotay is going to force her to confront what this is. Like, this is clearly something of some significance to her. It was too traumatic for her to remain inside any more than a minute. And Chakotay seems to have an understanding about what a person needs to do to confront a trauma like this, at least. I mean, this moment's so interesting because Chakotay's thought a lot about this moment ever since they had the discussion of the news of their dead Maquis comrades. Right. And... His feelings were very different from BLT's in that he had them and she did not. Right? Right. And he knows how to turn trembles into rages in a way that she might not, given their different life experiences. Yeah. But yeah, the thing she is struggling with is that it this news met her with indifference, not it didn't drive her to grief or pain or outrage or anything. And It's made her feel like dead and disconnected from everything by extension. It's an interesting and subtle distinction that it's like a cry for help, right? It's not like she doesn't actually want to die. She just wants the the risk to feel like something. And that's a really painful moment. And I I feel like they really earned this moment based on how the episode has unfolded until now. Yeah, this is the moment that makes the case that it's Chakotay as the best choice for this interaction. Yeah, and she can really see this pattern of loss in her life where every time she thinks things are going to be great, everything stable goes away. And this is just another example of that. And like, you know, maybe it's a bit simplistic that they unpack this all in one scene, but 
she gets mm-hmm. to this realization that like she is, she actually fears grieving. Like if she if she yeah. allows herself to feel it, then she'll feel all of it all at once, and it will be too much for her. And that's really intense. And it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, we got to put a pin in this because a banger's getting dropped on the ship. Right. I wonder what was going on in the scene during production because Star Trek and the actors in Star Trek are really great at their bodies in space. And Robert Beltran is holding on to Roxanne Dawson's wrists for a very long time in this scene. And the shot, reverse shot, never matches shot to shot. Hmm. Her hands are apart and together and apart and together in a way that seemed unusual for this show that really usually has it together for sequences like that. It was something I, I noticed immediately. Man, I I, uh, I totally missed that. Um, I, I was pretty busy cranking it during this scene, so. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's subtle. Yeah, but I wonder, like, because ordinarily the actors are so good at that, I wonder if they didn't have time to reshoot it, or maybe there was... I mean, maybe it was difficult mentally to do more than a couple of times. There's a lot to unpack in this scene. Yeah. So when they uh, when they get up to the bridge, the Malons have launched their shuttle and they're, you know, shooting crap at the Voyager to kind of slow them down or something. How do you know when it's intentional crap and accidental crap from a Malon ship, though? Uh, well, this looked like the same color as the stuff that they shot at those night people. That's right. The Nightman. The passion, the passion I'm guessing it's like their weapon. Seems that way. Yeah. I love these FX shots. Yeah, it's cool. So they have to launch the Delta Flyer without being totally done putting it together. They're like, shit, we're going to need like somebody to do the engineering part. And Chakotay's like, well, BLT is not going to be that. So I'll head down. And everybody on the bridge is like, no, Chakotay, it, it's a brand new shuttle. Don't get on board. <laughs> I love that subtext. <laughs> and so BLT stops him in the hallway and is like, you know, this thing is going to fly apart if uh, if I'm not on board it. And Chakotay's like, well, fly her apart then. But BLT convinces him to let her take over. I can do this. I need to do this. <laughs> Sounds great. She kicks Vorik's ass off the ship. Chakotay's relieved to not have taken responsibility for the shuttle mission, but I also don't think that they would have issued him a shuttle had he gone to the desk to get one. Right, yeah. Too many hull losses. So they take off, and man, I love the cockpit of this ship. Like, the the camera angles of the cockpit are so cool. It's so weird that they're on, like, different levels all throughout it, and, like, it's much bigger than a shuttle, so, like, they talk about having, like, a cargo bay, and that's really yeah <laughs> weird to think about. You know, like, how the, the D redress for Star Trek Generations made it more camera-friendly for a wider aspect ratio? Yeah. I feel like the depth and the height of the Delta Flyer made it more friendly for the television aspect ratio. Totally. Like, you really fill the frame. Yeah. With all the characters and stuff. Yeah, and it's got like windows that go like way up top so they can Yeah, the wide shot is cool. Yeah, like they must have had like a a ceiling mounted blue screen or green screen so that they could mm-hmm. do all the effects out the windows. Yeah. It's really neat. Yeah, they did a great job. So they, they get to try some of their Borg-inspired weapons on the Malon shuttle, and that goes great. They're now the only ship in the running 
for rescuing the probe. Mm-hmm. When they do get down there, they're deep enough that the hull integrity does, in fact, need BLT's, uh, you know, <laughs> MacGruber-esque mechanical genius. I love how it's not just one thing, though. Like when she puts the quarter sheet on the wall and starts welding it together. Yeah. I love how that's not the end of the fix. Like there needs to be a backup to this fix. Yeah. That involves a a dustbuster and a few other components laid on the floor. I need a phaser. Here you go, McGruber. Yeah. A really beautiful callback when she when she makes a little force field across a part of the ship and Jim Shimoda walks in and goes, <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> The Delta Flyer officially has its own Shimoda corner. Incredible. It's great. Love it. (laughs) Mission is a great success. Yeah. They get the probe. They get it back to the ship. They leave Jordy's mom behind. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't even try to look for her. Yeah. So uh, she has a nice debrief with Chakotay, and everybody's really glad that she went on the mission. And, you know, he's like, hey, you know, the massacre is a total bummer and uh, go ahead and like feel those feelings and like grief takes time. So yeah. And she's like, cool. Well, next time you uh, look in my diary, I'm going to break your fucking neck. (laughs) And that's how you know she's okay. Right? Like part of what was so upsetting about BLT for most of the episode was how little attitude she ever had. And that was the warning sign. Yeah. But that she has her attitude back and her and her sense of violence. Yeah. Even like that's encouraging. Yeah, healthy for her. Yeah. She goes into the restaurant and makes herself some more banana pancakes this time with syrup. Yeah. Yeah, Neelix didn't know any better. I wanted to ask you about this scene. The look on her face at the end. Did you interpret that as her Sort of like Melora Walters at the end of Magnolia? Well, did you interpret it as her smiling or starting to cry? Oof. I hadn't considered that there would be anything other than a smile there. But it's a better scene, I think, if you think it's a cry. Yeah, because I was I watched this with the closed captioning on, mostly because I wanted to see how Vrelk's name was spelled. Mm. And Good move. I interpreted it as a... Yeah, like her starting to cry, like not not like a sob, but like the way a cry can come on through a smile where she's like starting to let those feelings come out. Mm. But the I, the closed caption said it was like a giggle or something. And I was like, what the fuck? That's not a giggle. That was a. Oh, no. That was like. No description could be worse than that. Let me read the actual closed caption. Chuckles softly. I didn't think she was chuckling. I don't think a chuckle ever turns to crying. Yeah. As an emotional transition. Trembles can turn to rages, but chuckles cannot turn to crying. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I did, in spite of... You know, sometimes we'll watch one of these episodes and the number of questions we have will mean that it's a weak episode, much in the same way that like a cloud of writing credits mean that it may be a weak episode. Right. But this episode really made me get up in my head about the people in BLT's life and 
what exactly their roles might be and to what extent, you know, people that I thought would be close to her aren't either personally or professionally. And I can understand intentionally sidelining Paris here and not wanting the melodrama that would come with a intimate relationship yeah, on display for us as the viewer to go through them with. I like the reflex to just not make this that. <laughs> but if that's what you're doing, I think you still need to portray Paris as caring. And you don't need to have them on screen together to show us that. Yeah. But like my main takeaway this episode is what a bad look it is for Paris to look like he'd rather work on a ship than fix his relationship or try to help a special person. And I think there's room for Paris to do both. But his utter absence here, him not being on the board at all for her, is unintentionally a bad look for him. And yeah. I think this episode does him dirty. Like, I understand the reason to go in the direction it, it does, but not at the expense of what it does to Paris. So that's where I'm at with it. What about you? I feel very similarly on all of the points you brought up. I also just think that this is <laughs> such an exciting episode for a early in a new season show. Like, they're really starting to flex some new kinds of visual effects mm -hmm. in this episode. It really feels like this was an expensive episode to make, like a really high-spec, exciting yeah thing to see uh, on a television screen and uh, it's so interesting that all of the like I think that it's so strong that the episode does not get distracted by all of the new shuttle zooming around in the clouds stuff that it could have been yeah. it's not an episode that centers combat with the Malons it's not an episode that centers like how many different cool ways they can show us the Delta Flyer and what it's capable of. It, it is really a character study about BLT that has this sort of background thing that is augmenting a different part of the show. And the upshot of that is for later. This is a thing that Star Trek is really good at, like not obsessing over like dumb sci-fi bullshit and instead obsessing over character stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, for for as dirty as it does Paris, I think it's a really strong BLT episode. And it's amazing that the episode where they're building the Delta Flyer is also the episode where BLT goes and sits in a dark mm -hmm. restaurant with Neelix for like four minutes and just has a, a conversation that goes nowhere. Yeah, I really like that scene too. One final point, Ben, is that if I'm as confused about the Paris-BLT relationship as I am, and we watch multiple episodes of this show every week, a viewer who watched this for the first time as it was coming out on television week to week and spring into fall with the summer break or whatever uh -huh. has to be completely lost about this, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> You're totally disconnected from whether or not they're together. So I'm really hoping there's some BLT Paris-centric episode to either reset the relationship or give us some some finality of it. I think there needs to be an answer here. Yeah. If this is going to be a part of the show or not. Answer us. Yeah. You know, one place, we've got a lot of answers, but no questions, Ben. Mm. 
It's a priority one message inbox. You want to see what we have over there? Yeah, let's check it out. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is sent from Captain Jellico, and it is to Alpha Shift. Oh, man. We are a little late on this one because the requested date is December 12th, 1992. Oh, boy. (laughs) Message goes like this. I know you're used to Eggs Benedict, but if brunch breaks out, I want to be loaded for bear. (laughs) Bake buttermilk biscuits and top with pan-fried ham steak. Use a half a cup of young white cheddar, three tablespoons butter, two tablespoons flour, one cup milk. Melt butter on low and slowly stir in the flour, then the milk, then the cheese. Sprinkle with paprika and fresh parsley. Get it done. Oh, man. That sounds great. Really does sound good. You know what? Anymore, you go out to a breakfast restaurant, there's 10 different kinds of Benedicts. Yeah. Just give me the Stone Cold Classic. Yeah, the Classic is good. Classic always slaps. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Captain Jellico for that. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're a parsley-free household at the moment because of uh, breastfeeding. Parsley messes up breast milk, apparently. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't either. What does pineapple do? Makes it taste awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The ropes my wife is shooting into our baby are delectable (laughs) at the moment. That is a relief to know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam, our next priority one message is from Emily, and it's to Chris Martin, and it goes like this. Wishing the happiest of birthdays to the incomparable Chris Martin. Sharing an orbit with you is no small experience. Thank you for introducing me to Star Trek and letting me into another world within your world. Wow, gratitude for an introduction to the greatest generation. And Star Trek writ large, amazing. Gratitude instead of resentment. Yeah. That's great. That's huge. Uh, Thank you, Chris Martin, and thank you, Emily. I'm saying thank you to Chris Martin for putting somebody onto our show, because I presume Emily didn't find it. But maybe that's a bad presumption. Maybe Emily got into Trek and really got in. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Requested date was December 14th. I'm going to guess that's the date of Chris Martin's birthday. Oh, yeah. If so, happy birthday, Chris. Yeah, happy birthday. Wow. Well, if you'd like to wish somebody a happy birthday or, uh, you know, let people know about a project you're doing. or Maybe uh, share a recipe. Share a recipe. <laughs> Go ahead and uh, head over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set up a P1 today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I'm giving it to Chicote this episode. There's that scene where the Malins launch their shuttle, and they're like, fuck, they beat us. They, they've already launched. We got to get our new shuttle in the in the air. We got to chase them down. Yeah. And Chicote's like, I'll be the person like sitting in the BLT seat. I'll be the engineer on this one. And he gets up. And then, like, there's a shot of him just, like, walking at a normal pace of speed down a hallway. <laughs> like, like this is not an urgent situation at all. We talk about this all the time. It feels like it's such a quality of Star Trek specifically that 
you very rarely see anyone running. Yeah. Yeah. Because the music is the run, right? The music is the urgency. Mm -hmm. It looks weird when people move fast on screen. Yeah. I mean, it's also just uh, if he had been going as fast as he could, maybe BLT wouldn't have caught up to him. Yeah. But uh, in this scene, she was running. <laughs> Did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? Relk. <laughs> I love... Sometimes you get a character in an episode and they're only ever going to be seen on the view screen. Like we never cut over to their ship. We never see what they're doing unless they're having a FaceTime. Yeah. And Vrelk exists in the window on the view screen and does so much in that space to transmit an attitude and a feeling. And I just like this character quite a bit. So. Do you think there are nice parts of a Malon ship? Like this is the bridge and there's lots of smoke and rusty pipes everywhere. But like when they get off work, can they get out of their radiation suit and go like sit on a couch somewhere? Or is it all that? I think it's the newt problem. Once you uh, wipe off some of her face and make it clean, you got to do the whole thing. <laughs> That's much like a Malon ship. You can't make a clean spot. Yeah. Uh, well... <laughs> That was a lot of fun talking about that episode with you, Adam. And I liked your Shimoda quite a bit. But I would like to tell you about the next episode, which is season five, episode four, In the Flesh. The crew of Voyager discover a simulation of Starfleet headquarters being run by Species 42069. Really? They're back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's a really accurate simulation, Adam. You know how I know that? I'm looking at the thumbnail. And Boothby's in it. Whoa. <laughs> Interesting. Boothby. <laughs> what is Species 42069? What do they want with a holodeck program? I don't know. Or a simulation of any kind. They didn't seem like they'd be into that kind of foolishness. Well, they are. Okay? Wow. They just are. It turns out they're into, like, Nazi program... <laughs> <laughs> simulations too they're like oh damn what the fuck boy what's going on in the <laughs> delta quadrant <laughs> yikes well adam uh, why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game and walk us through what is about to happen to us ben i'm looking at our runabout it's on the very top row oh yeah square 96 fuck two squares ahead a space butthole that would take us down a couple of rows to a the nth degree episode. <laughs> FOD favorite. Oh, yeah. That's what that is. Four squares ahead. Morn hammered. I think I know what the FODs want. Wow. From this role. Let's see if I can deliver. A lot of people are placing bets right now. A lot of people are pulling out one of those spiral notebooks and wetting the tip of their pencil on their tongue. What happens again if I overshoot Mornhammer? Do we just go back to the beginning? We do, yeah. It's an auto loop. Wow. I think that'd be tough for a lot of people. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right. Let's see what I do. Let's see. Oh, Ben. I rolled a five. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. Ah. It took us exactly down to square one. <laughs> We're back to square one. <laughs> We're back to square one, Ben. We didn't hit anything. Man. But we have transited the entire game of buttholes once again. Yeah, we skipped most of it this time. 
I know. We're now at the first row. Row one, square one. It'll be a regular episode for us next week. Wow, Adam. Well, that is uh, pretty exciting stuff. I'm uh, looking forward to reviewing that episode normally with you. And yeah. I'm glad that the Morn Hammered Square is just about as far from us as it possibly can be. Yeah, safe distance. Let's tell the people about uh, how they can support this program if they are so inclined. That's right. Show runs on money. Always has. <laughs> Friends of DeSoto can support the show financially by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. They can also be customers of our commercial sponsors. You know what? That really makes a difference in our show and how we're able to support ourselves and pay for all the help that we need to make the show possible. Yeah. If if you hear an ad for something you need, use our promo code. It it makes a big, big difference. Yeah. It takes a village to make this show. If you want something to cover your body or some stickers or something to drink beverages out of all of those things can be found over at podshop.biz we're always working on new ideas for things and uh while the captain t-shirt sells out like you know we can't keep it in stock there are lots of other things that are in stock perennially i am god I know that that shade leveled at me, Ben. I'm doing the best I can to keep that shirt in stock. I know, but we need to it find a more... It is just extremely difficult. I know that there are supply chain challenges, but we need to find a reliable source for it, man. What I love is going onto the social media and seeing all of the friends of DeSoto who have managed to get one of these shirts. Show it off. If you get something from podshop.biz, let's see some pics. Yeah, tag at Greatest Trek on Instagram or Twitter. We got to thank Bill Tilly, who runs those accounts for us. We also got to thank Nick Dittmore, who does all of our design stuff and helps us with the store. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer of this fine program. She also produces Greatest Trek, our other Star Trek podcast. Go give that a listen. Yeah. It's about uh, all the new Trek on Paramount+. Plus. Dark Materia made the track you're listening to right now, but the theme and interstitial music made by Adam Ragusea, one of the greats. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, where we will be joined by a third co-host, Boothby. I love it. Yeah, he's going to be here. For the very first time, we've got a third co-host. Yeah. That always goes great for us. Yeah. Keep him off of Twitter. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Ruth B would get himself in a lot of trouble on Twitter. Make it so. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.